Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Uh, first, I'd just like to note that uh, tonight and tomorrow we're commemorating Yom HaShoah, uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, and obviously in the lead up today and certainly tomorrow, uh, taking a break from politics. Uh, you know, it's, it's a day of unity. It's a day to remember the past uh, where people listen to Holocaust survivors, uh, watch shows, uh, programs about the Holocaust, uh, which will basically replace normal programming on TV and radio. Uh, there's only solid music played on the radio throughout the day and there's a siren at 10 o'clock uh, tomorrow. Um, but obviously we're here to uh, sort of uh, catch up on what's been going on over the last two weeks. And it's been quite eventful to say the least. Uh, I'd love to say that there's a certain amount of clarity after the election since we, uh, we last met. Um, but basically this is what's happened. As we've discussed in previous webinars, what happens after elections is the president invites the leaders of every party to recommend uh, a member of Knesset, usually the leader of uh, a party, um, who, they, who they would like to recommend to, to be able to form a government. And usually there's very little drama. Everyone knows in advance who's going to recommend who, and basically the day gets played out without too many surprises. But uh, like all things um, uh, in Israeli politics, we've basically changed the rules. So um, there was some drama on that day. Uh, there, was, there were a few parties where we didn't know what was going to happen. The Netanyahu bloc, which is Likud with 30 seats, um, the two ultra-Orthodox uh, parties and the religious Zionist parties all predictably uh, uh, said that they would recommend Netanyahu. That gave them 52 seats. Uh, Naftali Bennett uh, basically kept to his word, which he said he would recommend himself, uh, which is quite rare that a small party recommend themselves. But so his recommendation, Naftali recommendation, Naftali Bennett's recommendation was seven seats. But the drama came later in the day. Basically, the parties were invited according to the size of their uh, members of Knesset. So towards the end were the two or three that we weren't sure about, which was Gidon Saar's uh, New Hope Party, Ram, which is really the party which uh, said that they could go either way, the Arab Islamist party, and even the joint list. The joint list had said earlier in the day that they were not going to recommend anybody. Uh, Yale Lapid had hoped that he could add uh, at least part of their voice. Sometimes there's, uh, there's two parties or three parties in it, uh, and they could certainly break up how they're going to recommend, and there was some hope of that. Yale Lapid basically at this point had already had himself, uh, Yeshua Beitenu, Labour and Merits, all recommending Lapid, but he was uh, not too far behind. If uh, uh, New Hope decided to vote for uh, Lapid, or, uh, then perhaps with some of the joint list, 
also uh, tactically voting uh, for Lapid, he would maybe get the, the majority recommendations and sway uh, the president's decision uh, into the hands of Lapid. In the end, Tikva Khadasha and New Hope decided not to recommend to anybody. Uh, they came out with a bit of a bizarre suggestion to have the president invite uh, Bennett and Lapid, who had been negotiating frantically over the previous 24 hours to get together to try and figure out a rotational government. There'd been a lot of talk about it, uh, a government of Lapid and Bennett, and Lapid actually came out subsequently and said he offered uh, Bennett to come first as long as he wouldn't go into the uh, pro-Netanyahu camp, which is quite remarkable that we could have had a prime minister, still could potentially, um, we'll talk about that in a second, uh, with only seven seats. But Lapid said he wouldn't let his ego get in the way, and that that's what it took to uh, remove Bennett from uh, the Bibi camp, which would effectively end his hopes of forming a government. Then he would gladly give up uh, the first uh, rotation of being prime minister. But in the end, it didn't happen. Netanyahu got the most results, uh, the most uh, recommendations, and we could hear from the language used by President Rivlin, which is uh, quite remarkable. Usually, it's a formality. Uh, but he said that he found a certain moral uh, uh, quandary and a bit of a problem uh, giving uh, the right to form a government to someone who is under criminal investigations because the same day this was going on was the first day of the uh, uh, witnesses took to the stand uh, for the prosecution against Prime Minister Netanyahu. And he had to hear the uh, opening speech of the lead uh, prosecuting lawyer lay out the, uh, the case and the claims uh, against Netanyahu. So it was quite a day for him uh, and also for the country. In the end, it went to Netanyahu. And basically, as we've explained before, Netanyahu now has 28 days to form a government. Now, the maths are relatively simple, but relatively not. Um, at the moment, he has a definite 52. Now, with uh, Naftali Bennett Yamina, which he's going to invite for discussions and uh, Bennett himself hasn't ruled out, uh, he only has 59. We know that he needs to re uh, receive 61. The, what has been discussed is perhaps having Ram, the uh, Islamist party, uh, supporting from the outside. That is something that the religious Zionists have said that they will not countenance and they will not rely on uh, a, a party which they claim is supportive of terrorists um, to even prop them up even from the outside of the government. So uh, supposedly that's out of the question. It's also a problem uh, for Bennett and even some Likud members like Miri Regev, quite senior and quite uh, close to Netanyahu said that she would not sit in a government that was supported by Ram. But there are a lot, there is a lot of time, there are a lot of frantic negotiations even at this stage uh, to try and convince, first of all, the religious Zionists. That's the first aim, to convince the religious Zionists at least to find some compromise to allow them to sit in a government which is supported from the outside by Iran. What we have seen uh, in the last few hours, at least, is an attempt to persuade the religious Zionist rabbis. Uh, we know the religious Zionist is a, a far right, uh, what's called Haidal. It's called a Haredi Lumi. It's something in between Haredi ultra-Orthodox ideology and national religious ideology. Uh, they're far to the right, not just politically, but religiously. And on many occasions, they listen to the ultra-Orthodox rabbis, or at least their rabbis are very close to the ultra-Orthodox rabbis. So what Netanyahu is trying to do is convince the ultra-Orthodox rabbis to convince the 
Haidal, uh, hard right national religious rabbis, uh, to find some compromise to allow, at least for the first obstacle uh, for Netanyahu government uh, to fall away. And that would be to convince the religious Zionist party to, to sit in a government that we propped up on the outside by the Islamist realm. The second obstacle is then bringing in Naftali Bennett. Now, he said he's ruling out a rotation. So that's what else can he offer him? Uh, there is talk of uh, basically placing the seven uh, current Yamina uh, MKs uh, basically in uh, definite spots for at least the next two elections on the Likud list or allowing them to return in senior positions to the Likud, uh, even allowing them to take over certain institutions. I'm not sure if that's uh, realistic, um, but he's been, don't forget Naftali Bennett has been defense minister. What more could he ask? Maybe he could ask to be finance minister. Uh, but at the moment, it seems that Netanyahu is ruling out a rotation. But that's only the second obstacle. Uh, the third obstacle is then to find those extra two seats. Now, as we've said, it could be a minority government propped up by Iran, but that would be a very unwieldy government as soon as there would need to be a response in Gaza, as soon as uh, Israel would need to do something which would be seen as unpalatable to the Arab street. Uh, one can imagine it would be very hard for Iran to suddenly, uh, you know, turn against or, or, or whatever. Um, what I think is more likely in this scenario is Netanyahu is going to look for two uh, quote-unquote deserters from the uh, other camp, which has now been branded the change camp, the camp of change, the side of change. Um, I'm sure he, Netanyahu, as we've spoken about uh, previously, I'm sure he's got his names, he's got his recommendations, who he can bring across, he'll offer them the earth, he'll offer them a ministry, a, a reserve spot, on the Likud for who knows how many elections, he will offer them the earth. That is a possibility. And uh, another possibility is we'll just go to another elections because after 28 days, uh, in theory, uh, the person tasked with forming the government can ask for another 14 day extension. Um, it's especially from Rivlin's language, it'd be hard to see that he would give him that extension unless there was some real advanced negotiation. So, I'm pretty sure that Netanyahu is not banking on getting those 14 days. And Rivlin has also said that rather than then give a second member of Knesset, perhaps in this case, he'll appear to have got the second largest number of uh, recommendations, he would then hand it onto the Knesset, where they would have 28 days to come together and 61 MKs would nominate a certain candidate. Um, so there's all that going out. What could happen? Could that there's talk that uh, Yamina uh, Naftali Ben is just, just going through the motions, trying to show his people he's trying to go for right-wing government. And when it collapses or it doesn't work, he can say, I tried. And that gives him the credence to maybe turn back to Lapid's offer of being first prime minister. But then he would be sitting in a government with not just, uh, uh, you know, uh, Lapid, who is considered center or center left. You'd have the Labour Party merits, which are uh, left-wing. And even all those parties together that we spoke about would only make 58. So then they would have to be propped up again by perhaps either Ram or parts of the joint list, which would even be more palatable. So there's no easy way to, the bottom line is there's no easy way to make a government. Uh, there has to be a, a lot of obstacles which have to be pushed out of the way. Uh, I've said many times, you never bet against BB. And I think that if, if there would be a government, I would certainly not have bet against it being led by uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, but I think there's also a very good chance of us going to a fifth elections. Now, everyone is saying 
we cannot have fifth elections. We have to do everything possible. So there is a lot of talk. Saar, Giron Saar has been meeting with the ultra-Orthodox leadership. Uh, there's been a bit of um, compromise on this, that, the other. There's people who would never make normal bedfellows saying that we would sit in a government if it, uh, uh, if it meant uh, uh, you know, preventing Netanyahu from forming the government. That's Meretz and uh, Yamina, Israel Beitenu and Labour, et cetera, et cetera. So that would also be a very unwieldy government, but it remains a possibility just to get rid of uh, Netanyahu. But again, Bennett has said he would only sit in a government which wasn't just window dressing for his ideology, but actually he would uh, retain the positions necessary to fulfill that ideology. And some commentators even sort of wrote out how a government would look, uh, because don't forget a government, would, uh, the change uh, government, if it would include Bennett, would have three right-wing parties, which are Israel Beitenu, Yamina, and New Hope, Gideon Sal's New Hope, and it would have Blue and White, uh, Benny Gantz's Blue and White, Yeshatid, which are centrist, let's say, center, center left, and then you would have Merits and Labour, which are left-wing parties. Merits very much a hard left party. Uh, so how they would all sit together, how they would come up with coalition guidelines, how they would distribute portfolios, ministerial positions, is anyone's guess, but their, uh, their distaste or their, uh, you know, their, their, their necessity to get rid of Netanyahu may have overcome these uh, differences of views, or maybe they could focus on areas where they do agree on perhaps social and economic rather than uh, diplomatic or security uh, or religion and state even. Um, but again, even if they all got together, they're still three votes short. So each side have a lot of obstacles. Netanyahu is certainly in the driving seat at this point, um, but there's still a lot of time to go and a lot of obstacles to get through. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, thank you so much. So with the possibility of a fifth election, is there any talk of election reform? Yes, uh, as usual in these situations there is, but at the moment it remains only talk. Interestingly enough, I haven't really seen this in the past, but a lot of parties on the first day of the Knesset, uh, the swearing in which was Monday, uh, a lot of parties put out on social media or through press releases a, a number of uh, laws that they would uh, try and propose in the early parts of the Knesset, especially those uh, parties in the opposition, which at this point will not be able to put through any meaningful legislation. And quite a few of them did put in uh, uh, you know, uh, laws to reform uh, the political and electoral system. But we get back to the problem that there are a lot of parties which are basically gaining too much in the current system. And considering these, this government will rest on one or two votes either way, even if, as we said, they managed to get past all those obstacles, it's very unlikely that anyone, uh, any of the smaller parties, which are absolutely necessary for government, will vote for electoral reform, which will probably make it far more difficult for them to be elected in the future. So uh, as we've talked about before, pretty much every leader at some point, including Netanyahu, has talked about the need for electoral reform and everyone sees it. But the reality is it's unlikely to happen because the parties who would be most uh, challenged by it are absolutely necessary if either side are going to form a government. Thank you. And what about the change parties passing a law that prevents Bibi from becoming prime minister? Well, it, in, in theory, it's possible, it was possible. The problem at this point is who's going to, uh, as we saw last time, 
uh, with the failed attempts when Benny Gantz, uh, when he led the large blue and white with Leo Lapierre and others, um, there was a chance there because uh, they tried to replace the speaker who controls the agenda and they controlled what's called the arrangements committee, the first committee before they populate the permanent committees, they set up certain temporary committees in the Knesset. The most important of those is the arrangements committee, which again controls uh, the agenda, what kind of laws can be put through. Whoever controls that can control the agenda, which they did last time. And the, the, the laws are ready. In the end, we saw Benny Gantz basically cross the aisle at the last minute and uh, go into this coalition government with Netanyahu. But in theory, they could have passed it. In theory, now they have the numbers as well, if you have the joint list and others. But uh, I think it would be pretty hard uh, to get that. You would need um, basically run the joint list and all the parties in the change cap, uh, including Naftali Bennett. Um, actually, no, you wouldn't need Naftali Bennett. You could have all the, part, all the parties without Naftali Bennett and, um, and the Arab parties. But at the moment, I don't see, for, Certainly, I don't see uh, Bennett doing it because he's, in theory, uh, supposed to be negotiating with Netanyahu, so he certainly wouldn't vote for such a law at this point. And Rama also, in theory, part of the possibility of either being in the government, which is less likely, or supporting them from the outside, which, again, neither of those will probably do that at this point. So probably the numbers are not there uh, at this moment. Thank you. Is there any chance that some Likud members could be drawn away to join Bennett and Lapid in forming a government? Unlikely. Um, first of all, it's if, if you get less than a third of the party, uh, if, if you have a third of the party, then you can run in the next elections. If it's less than a third of a party that breaks away, they cannot then run in the next election. So they're kind of ruling themselves out of any uh, next election. That's the, the law in Israel to try and, uh, you know, uh, disincentivize people from leaving the parties. Um, obviously, it's much harder on a large list like Likud because Likud have 30 seats, so that would you would need to have 10 for them to be able to run in the next elections, and there were not 10 Likud MKs. Uh, there's probably no one brave enough, I would say, at this point. Uh, there's a lot of people who would love to get rid of uh, Netanyahu from within the Likud, um, but I just don't see it happening. If Netanyahu fails uh, to form a government, and if they believe it's the only chance, there, there, there are talks apparently behind the scenes about it. But as we've seen before, when push comes to shove, when, the, when the, really the decision needs to be made, uh, the heavyweights in the Likud, which in theory are the ones who could do it if they united, uh, so far they haven't shown the courage, uh, political courage to take uh, such a step. So. At this point in time, certainly not, and it's unlikely, but you can never rule it out if things get to the point where a fifth election is really uh, on the cusp. Hmm. And are there MKs from Blue and White rumored to break off and join Netanyahu? I mean, no, uh, at the moment, no. Um, as I said, I think Netanyahu is first of all trying to, I'm sure he's trying multiple levels, but the first step is to try and uh, ensure uh, the religious Zionists stay in, even, as I said, even in the government that was supported on the outside by Iran. Uh, that's their focus. Then their focus is uh, Naftali Bennett. Once they've shored up that 59, then I think it'll be more serious. And also, at the moment, no one's going to jump unless they see that Bibi has the numbers, because if they jump now, 
and you mean that don't go into the government, then they look ridiculous and they look extremely disloyal, and that would be the end of their political career. They would only do it if they knew that a, they would, a government would be formed, they would get a very senior ministerial position and with a lot of promises and whatever else for the future. So that's not going to happen at the moment. That would only happen uh, really when uh, the moment comes where he needs to move from 59 to 61. Thank you. Well, outside influences like the U.S. sitting with Iran and the nuclear deal and others um, or Israel attacking Iranian oil deliveries make any difference in establishing a prime minister? No, not at this stage. Uh, it could, in theory, before the elections, you know, that, that case could be made by either and certainly is made by Prime Minister Netanyahu that he's the only one fit, uh, you know, to, to face these challenges. But at this point, um, those kind of factors, as much as some might claim, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Gantz's claim when he crossed the aisle was that we were in time of COVID, economic social crisis, it was the best thing for the country, it need, uh, sacrifices need to be made. So those are the kind of things that will be maybe stated uh, if someone does decide to defect or makes a decision to try and justify it. Maybe that's uh, a justification Naftali Bennett will use when it comes to it that we uh, face so many uh, challenges. In fact, it's something that Netanyahu has used. Netanyahu said that we face many challenges. Iran, uh, the, the new US administration, the ICC, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So this is something which is used in the rhetoric, but behind the scenes, it, it's not really uh, a major factor. It's, it's more about political uh, you know, machinations and everything goes along with that. So on another point, do you think the leak to the New York Times by an anonymous U.S. Defense Department official regarding the attack on the Iranian intelligence ship uh, that Israel was responsible, was that a serious breach of intelligence cooperation between Israel and U.S., or was it a way of Israel letting Iran know that it means to business? I think the latter. Um, I think, you know, the... the Israelis want to send a message, want to send a hard message to Iran, not just to Iran, uh, but also even, uh, you know, some of those negotiating the US's return to the JCPOA. Um, you know, Netanyahu in tonight's speech, as he invariably does on Yom HaShoah, uh, the prime minister and president, uh, speak in the night at Yad Vashem, uh, where they have the official commemoration uh, ceremony. And Netanyahu, I don't think has missed one uh, speech on the evening of Holocaust Remembrance Day to bring up uh, the issue of Iran. And he said that, uh, uh, you know, an agreement which, uh, you know, uh, puts the future of the state of Israel in, in jeopardy is not one that they'll be obliged to. Uh, those were the words that he used uh, tonight. So he said that the agreement, any agreement that's made with Iran is not something that will obligate uh, Israel. Read into that what you can, but it's obviously more bellicose talk from Netanyahu. Iran for him is, uh, you know, a major, major issue, if not the major issue. And I, at the moment, there is a lot of pressure being wrapped up and Israel want to make sure that the message is sent to the Iranians, but also the other, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the parties negotiating a return to the JCPOA, that Israel is, you know, is trying to highlight uh, what Iran is doing and try to put pressure on it in, in, in the area. Apparently there's talk of the Mossad uh, chief Cohen uh, traveling to the US and trying to get a meeting with Biden to show how Iran has not just been, uh, you know, sort of uh, ignoring uh, its responsibilities under the agreement, but going far, 
further in Iran itself today said that it, uh, it had enriched uh, quite a large amount um, to 20% capacity, uh, which is just a, a short, relatively short step to 90% capacity, which is enough uh, to actually have nuclear weapons. So there's a lot going on, and it wouldn't surprise me if that was a real a message to sort of send a shot across the bow uh, to Iran, but even to the rest of the international community as these uh, talks seem to be going ahead. Thank you so much. Uh, so what are the chances for a pardon uh, for Netanyahu if he were to drop out? Uh, it's interesting. There's been a lot of discussion about that. I've always thought that unless Netanyahu believes he's on the ropes, he's not going to go down that road. Interestingly enough, uh, while he spent a lot of the last couple of years attacking the Attorney General uh, Mandelblit, Abichai Mandelblit, which was actually his appointment and a very close uh, friend of his uh, before he took up that position. He was actually given that position in the hope that he would help Netanyahu, and in the end, he's been seen as a traitor. Uh, there is a feeling that uh, during Mandelblit's tenure, which I believe ends at the end of this year or maybe early next year, uh, he'd probably get the best plea bargain possible. Uh, because he is someone, regardless of the rhetoric, who has actually found in Netanyahu's favor uh, many, many times. So it is felt that if he's going to get the plea bargain he wants, perhaps now would be the time. There is talk of another uh, possible compromise, and I even heard it from uh, uh, someone in Merits even, which is a party which is obviously politically and personally very antagonistic towards Netanyahu. Perhaps a compromise could be giving Netanyahu the presidency, uh, the current president, which is a seven-year term, ends, I believe, in July, in the next few months, and there has to be elections for a new one. There has been talk, uh, something which has been denied by the Likud officially, that perhaps uh, Netanyahu could have a face-saving way of uh, leaving the political arena by going to the president's office, which, as we know in Israel, is largely ceremonial. Um, there'd be a lot of people who, who would certainly find that unpalatable, um, and there's even been a question whether a president uh, who's sitting under uh, could serve someone who uh, could serve as president who's sitting under three criminal indictments. Uh, so the fact that these questions are being asked shows that there is at least at the back of certain people's mind that possibility. Um, but I, as I said, I don't think Netanyahu will look for a plea bargain or a sort of escape route to the presidency unless he really believes he's on the ropes. And, and, and I believe at this point, especially the fact that he has the first chance of forming a government, he, he's close to that at this point. Understood. So going back to the, the first question, what electoral changes would you suggest? Uh, I have a lot of suggestions. I've been talking about electoral change for a while. Um, I mean, th th there's a lot of suggestions on the table. It's, it's very complicated because I believe we need a real holistic change. Um, you know, that the system that was created in 1948, which basically meant almost absolute representation of all the different groups and communities in Israel, the left, the right, the religious, the secular, the ultra-Orthodox Arabs, the communists, you know, all, all sorts of groups. It meant that everyone felt that they uh, were represented, especially at such a tense time at the beginning of the state. So it was absolutely necessary and a good decision. Actually, it was interestingly modeled on the Weimar Republic model of uh, proportional representation, which in the end we saw uh, gave rose to Hitler. Not, you know, not to compare that, but just interestingly, that's where the system came from. But the fact is that we've now moved to a point of political paralysis. And 
the system has outlived its usefulness, we need to raise, we either need regional representation, something uh, like they have in the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, other places. Uh, perhaps we can have a mixed member uh, system uh, where you have two ballots, uh, you vote for a person and then you vote for a list and it's rounded up uh, accordingly in proportion. Uh, could have a 60-60, uh, which is something Gideon Sars talked about, where you have 60 voted uh, proportions we have today and 60 voted uh, regionally. Uh, but the fact is we need less parties, we need greater stability, we need to have a system where it's clear what the government will be. Because at the moment, even this is what most people are saying, that even if we were to fifth elections or sixth elections, we would probably still be in the stalemate because there's not much movement. A seat here, a seat there, but the blocks are not moving. Sometimes there's movement within the blocks, but the blocks themselves are not moving. So a fifth elections is probably not going to break the stalemate. Um, the big question is, how do we, you know, how do we, where do we go from here? As I said, it's unlikely because too many parties are invested in the system. But I believe that we really need holistic change, but that will only come once we have two or three large parties that can make the system on their, it can make a government on their own, they can make over 61, and then really just chisel out a new system and then basically go to new elections on that. Um, <coughs> there was that opportunity in 2009, interestingly, something which I was, uh, I, I wouldn't say involved with, but uh, aware of uh, very much behind the scenes where Tsipi Livni's Kadima party, um, Likud and Netanyahu's Likud and Yisrael Beitenu, which had 15 at the time, um, made well over 61. And Yisrael Beitenu's Avigdor Lehman, who I worked with at the time, proposed to Livni and Netanyahu, let's make a government, the three of us together, reform the system once and for all without the need uh, of any smaller parties, reform the system, reform the electoral system, political system, and then we could go to new elections. And we know that neither Livni or Netanyahu uh, reacted positively. And so we're trapped in this uh, sort of cycle of uh, political paralysis. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you for taking time to update us this week. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Peter Chu discussing Twitter reveals French attitude on Islamism. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.